0: Well, we we love you. You really and truly are family to us, literally family. Uh, uh, Carol and I have been a part of missions all of our pretty much married life. We came to Australia in 1987, sent out on a mission from our church in Arizona to pioneer a church in Sydney that would become a church that would reach up into Indonesia and Asia and all the the nations of the world. And so missions has always been a part of our heart. Giving and going has been a part of our life. We've now been in uh, Sydney for 36, I think this is our 37th maybe year. And in the same place, the Lord sent us to Penrith. We've been in Penrith ever since. Uh, So we've given to missions through the years, but we've never given a greater missions offering in our life than what we have given to Canberra. Because when we sent my daughter and her husband and our five grandchildren here, that is the biggest missions offering we have ever given ever in our life. But Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you have our heart. You have our heart because you have our treasure. Would you reach your hand out towards me, please, and pray for me? Father, special morning to be here. Thank you so much. And I ask now in these next few minutes that I could share your word. And I pray, Lord, that as I share it, you would speak it to the hearts of every family member that's here today, every brother and sister, mother and father, son and daughter, and we will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our theme this year, a king and a cause. This theme helps focus us on the greatest person you could ever love and the greatest purpose you could ever live. A king, a king to love and a cause, a cause to live. Jesus said, he taught us to pray this prayer. Our Father in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, in Canberra, in Sydney, on earth as it is in heaven. And so we are measuring our obedience to this mandate or at least our participation in this mandate by daily answering one question. One question to ask ourselves every single day based on the greatest person we could ever love and the greatest purpose we could ever live. The question is simply this. What what on earth Am I doing for heaven's sake? What on earth am I saying and praying for heaven's sake? What on earth am I giving for heaven's sake? What on earth am I living? What on earth am I believing for heaven's sake? For thy kingdom come's sake, for thy will be done sake what am i what am i doing what what on earth am i doing what in canberra am i doing for heaven's sake and jesus teaches us where this kingdom cause sits in the priority of those who are christ followers if you're a god chaser today if you're a follower of the lord jesus christ today he helps us set our priorities I need help setting my priorities like we all do. And so here's how Jesus wants us to see his kingdom come, his will done on earth as it is in heaven. Where do I put that in my busy life, in my full life? Well, he says it in Matthew 6 and verse 33. Be concerned... How many have concerns? We all have concerns. You have family, you have work, you have job, you have a home, you have life, you have pursuits. Be concerned above everything else with the kingdom, with the king and his cause. Be concerned above everything else that you're concerned with. And it's not to demean the concerns of your life or my life. It's just to prioritize where everything fits. All the things I'm concerned about cannot be more concerning to me, according as to the Lord, as we follow Jesus. Be concerned above everything else with the kingdom of God and with what he requires of you. And here's the promise. And he will provide you with all these other things that you're concerned about. All the other concerns. But don't make the other concerns the major pursuit of your life. The major time consumer. The major thought grabber. That Don't let them become the major concern. The major concern of your life is kingdom come and will be done in Canberra as it is in heaven. And then all the other concerns the Father himself promises to add to us. Seek first. Two Greek words, seek, zeteo, first, proton. And if you do an exegete of these two words, it literally translates like this. Seek means desire, inquire, and require. Proton, first, first in time, place, order, and importance, the kingdom of God. God, the king and his cause, the greatest person you could ever love and the greatest purpose you could ever live. And then Jesus helps us. He helps us get this going in our own soul and in our own heart. When Jesus says in John 15, 19, he says, you are not of this world. Man, that clears up a whole lot of stuff right there. Jesus says to his followers, you are not of this world. I chose you out of this world. You are in the kingdom of God. You are in the kingdom of God. Paul teaches us that there is the earthly man and the heavenly man. The first man, Adam. The second man, Christ. And we are of the second man and we are of the heavenly man. And Jesus says to us, you are not of this world. And then he prays this prayer to his father in John 17 and verse 14. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And then Jesus makes a a statement that is mind-boggling. He says, behold. Now, when, when we hear, when the Bible talks about, Behold, that means like get ready, because something really to see is about to be seen, or something to really hear is about to be heard. Behold. And then he says, I think the greatest words that have ever followed the word behold the kingdom of God is within you. This kingdom. You're within the kingdom, but the kingdom of God is within you. Everywhere you go, the kingdom of God goes in Canberra. Everywhere you step, everywhere you move, every move you make, every step you take. Never mind. It just uh, a blast from the past. A blast from the past just came. I could, I could hear the baseline, Look, but I could hear the baseline on that one while, while I was saying it. The power of your footprints. Pastor Messer is my pastor from Arizona. He's 86 years old. He's still my pastor. I still stay in touch with him all the time. And I asked him the other day if the Lord had spoken anything prophetically to him. And he said that God had. And he said God impressed upon him the, fa- the power of footprints. The power of footprints. He said the, the, the amazing power of a footprint. He says great thing. The Lord spoke this to him. Great things happen when you make footprints. God says he will give us the place that our feet walk. He will give us the place. This is what the promise he gave to Abraham. He will give him the place that his feet would walk. And then he was reminiscing back in 1987 when a very young uh, Jack Haynes and my pastor Tom Messer and a couple of us flew to Sydney to try to obey the word of the Lord to come and plant a church, which we'd never done before. Didn't have a clue. We just had a word from the Lord. We just had a word from the Lord. And he said this, he said, we got off the train in Penrith in 1987 and made footprints. We walked all over the western suburb city, the Penrith, you know, we made footprints. He said, you, Carol, and the kids made footprints all over Penrith. And he said, the rest is kind of history because something happens when we move. Something happens when we walk. How is that? The kingdom of God is within you. God speaks, we make footprints, and somehow miraculous things happen, but not a lot happens till we move. What happens when we move? His kingdom comes. His will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. This kingdom moves because it's inside of me. This king and his cause are inside you this morning. And the sense of devotion that you feel and the sense of duty that you have comes from this kingdom that's within you, this devotion to someone and this duty to someone. Where does that come from? It comes from the kingdom of God that is within you, from deep down in your soul. Deep cries out to deep, and you know that you have someone to love and you have something to do. And his kingdom come, his will be done, is the first priority of your life. Jesus said this in Matthew 11 and verse 12. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching, until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. But since John began to preach, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. Now, I believe right here, this morning, in Canberra, the kingdom of the gospel from John's day till this day is still being preached. And the kingdom of heaven is advancing right here, right now, in Canberra. So, let me ask this question, this king and this cause. How do we advance his kingdom in Canberra? How do we do that? I believe we, the way the kingdom of God is advanced in the earth, is two, two ways that we advance the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, I'll show you the first way. In Luke 16, 16, Jesus said something that, very similar to what we just read. He said, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. There is something about the power of preaching or proclaiming the gospel. Wherever the gospel is preached and proclaimed, people press in to it. Now, nobody presses into the kingdom of God where it's not being preached, because you cannot get saved without the gospel. Paul said in the book of Romans, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes it. And Jesus is saying wherever we proclaim, wherever we preach, wherever we tell, wherever we confess the good news of Jesus Christ, people will always be pressing into it. We see that today in a nation like China we think of China right now because politically it makes news and headlines and, and and nothing seems to be real favorable. But let me tell you about the church in China. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God right now that's happening in China. The gospel is being preached in China and the people are pressing into it. And statistics and missiologists are telling us right now as many as a million Chinese people a month are being born again, pressing in to the kingdom of God, like over a hundred million Christians in China. And there's a government that oppresses it, there's a government that suppresses it, but they can't stop people proclaiming. And where the gospel is proclaimed, people will press in to it. So how do we advance the kingdom of God? Number one, by declaring and sharing The kindness of the king displayed in the cross of his son. Christ on the cross. Second, the first way is the good news. We talk it. We tell it. We say it. We sing it. We bring it. Secondly, here's how we advance or how the kingdom of God is advancing in the earth and even here in Canberra. And this is an amazing, dramatic Display portrayal that Jesus describes for us. It's going to take place in a few years. Here's what he says. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne. Everybody say the throne. Don't you reckon that's where the king belongs? Right? So he will sit on the throne of his glory. Watch. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Watch. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. We advance the kingdom of God through the good news of the gospel and the good deeds of the people. The good deeds, the kind acts to the hungry, to the naked, to the thirsty, to the sick, to the prisoner. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 16, let, he said, your light, your light must shine before people so that they will see the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven. We must do these good deeds before people that they might see them and praise our Father in heaven. Now, there's another place where Jesus says, now, don't let your left hand know what your right hand do and don't do anything to be seen. And, of course, what Jesus is talking about there is an attitude of pride and arrogance and, and being like a Pharisee and a hypocrite. And This isn't that. This isn't that. So don't get this mixed up with that. This is turn the light on for Canberra. Turn the light on in your neighborhood and in your family and let men and women see your good deeds to the hurting, to the poor, to the disenfranchised, to the down and out and do good for them. For His, talking about this for Jesus, this isn't to make me look good, this is to show you how good God is. How do we advance the kingdom of God in Canberra? Through the good news and through the good works of His people, of His church. When you show the mercies of Jesus, when you show the kindness of the king, you advance the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God presses forward. It moves forward. This is how his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus prayed. Matthew 6, 10, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Who? Who does that? Who does that? You and me, we do that. We do that. Who does his will on earth? Those who live on earth with the kingdom of heaven within them. Now, there's a lady in our church. She's been in our church in Sydney almost her entire life. And I had a conversation with her not too long ago. And she said that she was in Kohl's. And there in front of her was a lady who was asking over and over again, uh, how much is it now? How much is it now? Okay, take that back. I uh, take that back. How much is it now? Uh, how, and she, and so this lady was telling me that she, her heart reached out, and she leaned over, and she said, I don't mean to embarrass you in any way, but my husband and I are Christians, and, and, uh, and we, we have a, a, a business, and our heart's desire is to help people and, and as much as we could possibly help people because, because of Jesus. Could I help you with your groceries today? Would you let me pay for your groceries today? She said, oh, no, 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 thank you, thank you, no, no. And so she stepped back, and the lady was still doing it. And, and then when it came time to pay, her credit card was having trouble. She had to pull out two or three different, and so she approached her again. Honestly, I can't tell you the joy it would give me. If you would allow me and my husband to help you today. No, i I no, I'd, no. Three times she approached her, and three times the woman said no. So when she went to her car, she felt like she, she would have really loved to have helped. But the woman found her in the car park and came up to her. And she said to her, look, I, I, don't, I don't take help like that. She said, but thank you wanting to help me. And she said, if you really want to help me, she said, my son is self-harming and I don't know what to do with him. Would you pray for him? She said, I absolutely would pray for him. Now she told me that story. And here's what I said to this lady in our church. I said, you know what you did? You turned common ground into holy ground. And mate, that's what we do. That is what we do. What's more common than coals? Woolies? <laughs> IGA? She she turned common ground into holy ground by reaching out with the good news and the good works of the Lord Jesus Christ And that's what we do. That's how we bring the kingdom of heaven to the culture of the world. When we act like Jesus, when we extend his love and his kindness, we turn common ground into holy ground. This is what we do for a king and a cause. We're advancing his kingdom and his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. A few months ago, Carol and I were on long service leave. and uh, We were in Oklahoma visiting my sister and some relatives I hadn't seen in 15 years. And so we were having kind of a big family reunion that evening. But that afternoon, I had a free time, a free day. And I just happened to have my golf clubs with me. And so I went down to this little, about an hour outside of Oklahoma City, a little uh, golf course. And I just got on. I thought I'd play nine holes. And, and uh, so just before I, I, I hit, teed off on the first hole... The, the pro came out and he said, look, mate, I he didn't say mate because he, he didn't talk like that. <laughs> uh, anyway, only I talk like that. But I, he said, I've just had a guy come up from Oklahoma City and I can't, I don't have a tea time for him. Would you mind if he played with you? On your, I said, I don't mind. So total stranger, this guy walks up, kind of a big fella. And uh, hello, how are you? I'm Jack. You know, I'm Paul. Good to meet you. And so we just, but I noticed right off the bat, he had a real strange set of tattoos all over him. Really different, like nothing I'd ever seen before. Like he had 16 faces tattooed all over his shoulders and arms. And uh, so after two or three holes, we, we were chatting a little bit. And, and then he shared with me how that um, he, had, uh, uh, he had been in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan as a, as a soldier. And... Uh, that these were 16 of his friends who had been killed. And so we talked a little bit more. And then he talked about how coming out of that situation and the stress on him and it cost him kind of his marriage. And, and now he was, you know, it was just, we just chatted a little bit more. And um, uh, he's in a new relationship. And uh, the, the, this new girl that he's in relationship with, her kids hate him. And anyway, so when we got to the ninth hole, I just looked at him, and I said, Paul, I said, would you mind if I prayed for you? He took his hat off, bowed his head, and he said, nope, don't mind at all. And I just said, Father, I want to thank you for Paul and for his selfless service to his country and what great cost he has served his country. And, Lord, I just want to lift him. I, I pray for him, and I'm asking you now to help him and help him in this new... And I just... And it was like, I had this sense when I finished praying for him, and he put his hat back on. He went that way. I went that way. Standing right there on the ninth green, I felt like that that common ground had just been turned into holy ground. How do we advance the kingdom? Because it's advancing. But we're the ones who advance it. We're the ones who move it forward and take it forward. Now, if you've ever been to Penrith, how many have ever been... How many avoid the big smoke at all costs? Let me add. Yeah, all right, you, So you. I see John back there. You, you. We. If you've been to Penrith, we have a suburb in Penrith named Kingswood. Yeah. Now, <laughs> you can't. You can't take the Westies out of them. You know. I mean, it's just, it just once it gets in you, it's in you. Kingswood is like the most common ground in all the all, all of Penrith. But to be honest, in um, about th- four years ago. Um, we, through Westcare, wanted to establish a place of safety, safe sleeps, for beaten and battered women and children—a safe, a safe house, a safe place uh, for domestic uh, violent abuse. And um, so we we put a lot of money together, and we got two apartments and totally re- renovated them. And and so our goal and our dream was a thousand safe sleeps a year. And that's what I, that's what I, I wanted uh, to do. So I called Andrew up the other day, Andrew Paik, and I said, Andrew, I said, How many, give me a rough estimate. How many safe sleeps do you think we have provided? And he has told me stories of women who have stayed in those apartments who were beaten so badly, brutally. And, and some of those women have come with as many as six children. But here they find a refuge, a safe place, and a safe night. And, I, and I, I thought maybe he would give me a rounded estimate. He said, Pastor Jack, we have had 7,908 safe sleeps since 2018. And then I remembered these words that I read to you just a while ago. Jesus said, I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me me, every night that Jesus sleeps in those apartments, they are holy ground. Now look, we may not be able to turn water into wine or Five loaves and two fishes into a, you know, a feast for thousands. But Jesus teaches us how to turn common, ordinary, regular, dusty, earthly ground into holy ground. He shows us how. He teaches us how. And in Matthew 5, 41, he shows us how to turn common ground into holy ground. He says, and whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him two. There is nothing more common than a mile, but there is nothing more uncommon than two miles. Now, what did this mean? What was, everyone that Jesus said these words to completely understood what he meant, because the Roman occupying military could force anyone at any time to carry his kit, his his soldier kit. He, all they had to do was point, and they were required to pick up all that soldier's kit and carry it a mile. And then at the end of the mile, they would drop the kit and turn around and go back. And every time that happened, more hatred and more animosity. And, you know, it was just a, uh, you know, or the, they'd see the Roman soldiers coming and they're going to do this and run there and, and try to get out. You, you right there, get up here. And the next thing you know, you got to carry the stinky, smelly soldier's backpack a mile. As a matter of fact, one translation a more modern translation reads it this way. Jesus says, And if one of the occupation troops forces you to carry his pack one mile, carry it two miles. Two miles. What, ha- what happens in one mile? Nothing. But what happens in two miles? Something happens in two miles. Maybe a conversation like, "All right, you're done, kid. Split. Get out of here." No, I, I, i I'm gonna, I think I'll carry it for you another mile. What? I, I, I I'm, I'm gonna carry this for you another mile. What you been smoking, son? No, I. So why in the world do you want to carry this another mile? Uh, look, we had, we had a. We had a meeting last night that my mom and dad took us to. And this man, like, I never heard anyone. And, and, he, and he, he, heal, he was healing people. And, and he was telling us how that how we should live. Really? Tell me some more about this guy. So your witness and your Christian testimony in the kingdom of God doesn't even begin to advance until you go the second mile. The kingdom of God is within you. And there is nothing more holy or uncommon on this planet than what's within you. And yet here we live in this culture of the world. Kingdom of, God, kingdom of heaven, culture of the world. We have the kingdom of heaven and then there's the culture of the world. That's common. Everything in the culture of the world is common. I mean, what's more common than hating your enemies? What's more common than cursing those who curse you? What's more common than canceling those who hate you? What's more common than detesting those who spitefully use you and persecute you? That's the culture of the world. So common. So common. Jesus said in Matthew 5, But I say to you, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Watch, watch, watch what happens, watch. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is how you turn common ground into holy ground at your office, in your neighborhood, at the servo, This is how you and I advance the kingdom of heaven. This is how his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. I mentioned that Carol and I have just been on long service leave. And the last part of that long service leave, um, I had the privilege of hiking um, my second Camino about five years ago. My middle daughter, not my baby daughter, but my middle daughter and I hiked uh, the Camino de Santiago from Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port in France to Santiago de Compostela in Spain, about a 900-kilometer, 37-day trek. It was wonderful. I love that kind of stuff. And I love hanging out with my kids, so it was pretty cool. But this last uh, month or so, Carol and I, uh, I did another Camino. It was a smaller one, and she was my support crew. And she would uh, drop me off or pick me up or meet me every day at the end uh, uh, of the day. So I hiked from Porto, Portugal, to Santiago de Compostela, about 280 kilometers, a couple weeks, fabulous hike, beautiful hike, all along the Atlantic coast. And I just feel so blessed to do it. One of the things that happens on a long hike like that is you meet all kinds of people. Because other people are doing the hike. And so you'll pass people. And after a while, you start seeing these people on a f- fairly regular daily basis. And then maybe you won't see them for a few days. But you'll see them again later. Hey, how you doing? How you? And so you really develop some interesting mm. friendships. I guess kind of like maybe if you've ever been on a cruise or something. And you had dinner. And the next thing you know, you're developing a fr- So Stuff like that happens on a, on a hike like this. Well, there was a, a young woman on this hike. I'm guessing her... <clears throat> In her uh, 30s, mid 30s, or whatever, and uh, she she had short hair. She had a husky voice. She was covered in tattoos. She was doing the Camino alone, but she she'd walk with people, and uh, and say uh, hello. And uh, so um, um, I knew that this woman, her world and her lifestyle, were directly opposite of me, my world, and my lifestyle. But I, on, on about the second or third day, because I'd walk past her or that group, and then maybe they'd walk past me or whatever. But as I was walking past her, I heard her say, oh, that guy right there, I think, I think, he's, a, I think he's an Army veteran. And I stopped, and uh, I turned around, and, and, and come to find out the day before, I was having a coffee in a little coffee shop, and I met this American couple, and we started chatting, and he was from my old military unit. If you can believe that, that was like 500 years ago, you know, in another lifetime. You know, the, I was, he was stationed, I just couldn't believe it. He was about five years younger than me, but stationed in my old unit. And so we kind of, a couple old veterans talking back and forth. Well, I didn't know, but she was there and heard the, Anyway, so that's how she knew. So I'm walking by her, and she says to whoever she's talking to, I think that guy's an Army veteran. And I heard her say it, and I stopped, and I turned around, and I said, I am. I said, Army, infantry, U.S. Army. She said, uh, well, I'm a Navy veteran. And I said, thank you for your service to your country. And she said, thank you for your service to your country. I said, boy, the Army sure appreciates the Navy. And so we just had this little warm exchange, and I kept going. And then I'd see her, different dates, different times. And I'd walk past her, and I'd say, hey, how's the Navy today? She'd say, Navy's fine, how's the Army? I said, the Army's sure grateful for the Navy, let me tell you that. And, you know, I couldn't help it, but she kind of got into my heart. And I, I, my heart just kind of went out to her a little bit. And so I'd walk past. Then I, I went like, I don't know, three or four days, never saw her. And so I thought, maybe she's got a day ahead of me, or maybe she's got a day behind me. But I had prayed a prayer I said, Lord, if I see her on the last day in the great, big, beautiful, emotional, open square of Santiago, and she's standing there, having completed this hike by herself, I said, Lord, I want to go up to her, and I want to tell her how proud I am of her. I want to put my arm around her, and I want to tell her I'm proud of her. But I just leave that to you, Lord, because I just leave that to you. So... I went a few days, did Then at one point I saw her, introduced her to Carol. Carol, I want you to meet my new Navy friend. And uh, so the last day, Carol's waiting for me. She's just outside the city. She's waiting for me, and uh, she wants to walk in with me. So once you start the walk into Santiago de Compostela. It's about a kilometer of beautiful cobblestone in old, old, old Spain. And it's very emotional. You've, you've just worked for weeks and you you're, this is a very, and I thought if I, and I can't believe Carol and I just stood there together because she, Carol drove in and held her eyes so she didn't see the big Compostela temple, uh, uh, not temple, but uh, cathedral, because uh, she wanted to see it with me for the first time. So, we start, and just as we start the first step on the cobblestone, I look over. I can't believe in a crowd so thick, and there is the Navy. There's my friend, and uh, I said, I, "Did you just get here?" She said, "I did, I did, Jack." She said, "Could I walk in with you?" Oh, she said, "But but if you and Carol want to walk in alone, no." I, she, I said. Carol looked over, and she said, "Come on and walk in with us." So we walked together. And we finally come into this big open area. And when you stand and look up, it's just emotional. And so I just walked away from Carol and my friend, and I just stood there. And I was weeping because it's a pretty emotional moment, pretty emotional moment. And I looked back, and my friend was weeping. And I walked over to her. I put my arm around her. I said, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And she got on the phone and tried to call her mom. And then I think she tried to call her partner. I think she lived in Colorado, so she was trying to make a connection with her. But she didn't want to leave us there in that moment. It was so emotional. And she said, could we we go together and get our certificate that we've done this? Yeah. And then she started saying to me in her moments of vulnerability there, how tough this hike had been for her. It had been so tough. She said, I struggle with real depression. And she said, I had a panic attack three days ago that was so severe. She said, I didn't think I was going to be able to continue. And I said, mate, I had my first panic attack when I was 10 years old. And I know what depression is because I have struggled it, fought it all my life. She said, what do you do? What do you do? I said, mate, you outlasted it. You outlast it, and then you anchor your soul on whatever it is that you anchor your life on. And I said, for me, that's God. And so she said, could, could, we, could we have lunch together? So we go, and we sit down, and she says, I've never even asked you, Jack, what do you do for a living? I said, Carol and I are pastors. She said, no effing way. She said I thought people like you were against people like me. Our food came and I held Carol's hand and I said we're going to we're going to just Carol and I are gonna pray and she reached her hand out she took my hand she reached out to Carol's hand she bowed her head with us and I prayed I prayed for her I thank God for the food and while we were eating she looked over Carol and she said how did this journey begin for you and for about the next 15, 10 I forgot how many minutes Carol shared with her her testimony of how she found Jesus as a young person without God and without Christ we got up we hugged she went that way Carol and I went that way but I couldn't help But feel or think that those cobblestones, that that common ground had somehow become holy ground. And that's what we do. That's how we, thy kingdom come. That's how we, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Joe, for coming. I have one last scripture to read. And then we're gonna pray. Jesus said that you're the light of Canberra. You're the salt of Canberra. Everywhere you go this week, turn common ground. Turn Canberra ground. Turn common ground into holy ground. When you share the message of Jesus and the mercies of Jesus, you turn common ground into holy ground. My last scripture come from the dying lips of the first martyr in the New Testament, Stephen. And he's sharing the story of Moses to those who are about to slay him. And he says this in Acts 7, verse 30. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and he drew near to observe the voice of the Lord as it came to him saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dare not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. He was actually standing on common ground. He was actually standing on dirt in a dusty desert in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. What made it holy? The presence of God. We can turn common ground into holy ground when we bring the presence of God to those around us. Would you stand with me, please?